for, an early age begins to absorb its customs and beliefs. He sits about the village fires in the evenings, and listens to the tales of long ago, or hears the elders discuss the problems of their daily life. During the hot midday hours, he lounges in the field houses, while his parents relate the fate of lazy children, or tell of punishments sent by the spirits on those who fail to follow the customs of the ancestors, or give heed to the omens. He attends the ceremonies, where he not only learns the details of these important events, but with his own eyes sees the bodies of the mediums possessed by superior beings, and thus the close relationship of the spirit world to his people is forcibly brought to his notice. He is never debarred from the dances or other activities, in fact, he is encouraged to take part in them or to imitate his elders. Soon custom gathers him into its net, and unless he is the exceptional individual, or comes in intimate contact with outsiders, he never escapes. It has already been seen that he begins very early to take an active part in the village life, but it is many years before he assumes a position of importance in the group. It is only when age and experience have gained for him the respect of his fellows that he begins to have a voice in the more weighty affairs of Tingyan life. Engagement and marriage. Since there are no clans or other groupings to limit the number of families in which unions may be contracted, the only impediments are former marriage ties or blood relationship. Cousins may not marry, neither is a man allowed to wed his stepsister, his wife's sister, or her mother. Engagement takes place while the children are very young, sometimes while they are still babes in arms, but usually the contract is made when they are six or eight years of age. The boy's parents take the initiative, and having selected a suitable girl, they broach the subject to her family. This is not done directly, but through an intermediary, generally a relative, who can talk much and well. He carries with him three beads one red, one yellow, and one agate, which he offers as an evidence of affection, and then proceeds to relate the many desirable qualities of the groom and his family, as well as the advantages to be gained by the union. If the suit is favored, the beads are attached to the girl's wrist as a sign of her engagement, and a day is set for the pukalon or price fixing. On the appointed day, friends and relatives gather at the girl's home and, after several hours of feasting and drinking, Settle down to the real business on hand, a large pig is slaughtered, and its liver is carefully examined, for, should the omens be unfavorable, it would be useless to continue the negotiations further at that time cf. Page 307. If the signs are good, the happy crowd forms a circle, and then begins a long and noisy discussion of the price which the girl should bring. Theoretically, the payment is made in horses, carabao, jars, blankets, and rice. But as each article is considered as having a value of 5 pesos to 0.50, the money is frequently substituted, especially by people in poor circumstances. A portion of the agreed price is paid at once, and is distributed between the girl's parents and her relatives, who thus become vitally interested in the successful termination of the match, for should it fail of consummation, they must return the gifts received. The balance of the payment is often delayed for a considerable time and it not infrequently happens that there is still a balance due when the man dies. In such a case no division of his property can be made until the marriage agreement is settled in full. The completion of the list is the signal for great rejoicing, liquor circulates freely. The men sing Dalam Cf. Page 440, and Cf. Page 440 is danced far into the night, in the yard where the dancing takes place. Three inverted rice mortars are placed one above the other to serve as a table for the spirits who always attend, 
a dish of liquor is placed on it, while at its side is a spear decorated with a man's belt. These engagement parties are the great social affairs of the year, and friends will journey long distances to be present, but the betrothed couple is seldom in evidence, and in many instances the groom is absent. Following their engagement the children live with their parents until such a time as they are considered old enough to maintain their own home. If the lad comes from a well-to-do family, it is probable that the final ceremony will take place before either of the couple reaches puberty, but, if the groom must earn a living, the marriage may be delayed until he is 18 or 19 years old play XII. When the time for the fulfillment of the agreement arrives, the boy goes, in company, at night to the girl's house. He has a head as a hanging from his belt, but he is the only one so armed. An earlier writer has described a feigned attack on the house of the bride as a part of the marriage ceremony, but the present writer did not witness anything of the sort, nor could he learn of any such action. The groom carries with him a small part of the marriage payment and a valuable jar, these he presents to his parents-in-law, and from that time on he may never call them or their near relatives by name. Should he do so, he will have boils and the first child will be insane. The bride's people have provided a coconut shell filled with water and a wooden dish containing cooked rice. These are placed between the couple. As they sit in the center of the room play XIV, the boy's mother drops two beads into the shell cup, and bids them drink, for, as the two beads always go together at the bottom, so you will go together and will not part. The cool water will keep you from becoming angry. Great care must be exercised in handling the cup, for should the contents be shaken the couple will become dizzy and in old age their heads and hands will shake. After they have drunk, each takes a handful of rice, and squeezes it into a ball. The girl drops hers through the slits in the bamboo floor as an offering to the spirits, but the boy tosses his into the air. If it breaks or rolls, it is a bad sign, and the couple is apt to part, or their children die. In such a circumstance, the marriage is usually deferred, and tried again at a later date but repeated scattering of the rice generally results in the annulling of the agreement. Should anything in the dwelling fall or be broken during the ceremony, it is halted at once, to proceed further that night would be to court misfortune. However, it may be undertaken again a few days later. The guests depart immediately after the rice ceremony. No food or drink is offered to them, nor is there any kind of celebration. That night the couple sleep with a pillow between them, and under the groom's pillow is a head axe. Early in the morning, the girl's mother or some other elderly female of her family awakens them, and leads the way to the village spring. Arriving there, she pours water in a coconut shell, which contains a cigar from which the couple have drawn smoke, she adds leaves of bamboo and aguas, and washes their faces with the liquid, to show that they now have all in common, that the tobacco may keep them and their children from becoming insane, that the aguas will keep them in health and the bamboo will make them strong and ensure many children, the same as it has many sprouts. On their way home, the boy cuts a dangla shrub the texnegundu elm with his head axe, and later attaches it to the door of their home, so that they may have many children. Throughout that day the doors and windows are kept tightly closed, for should the young people see birds or chickens having intercourse, they are apt to become insane, and their firstborn have sore or crossed eyes. The next morning is known as Sipsipo, the watching. Accompanied by the girl's parents, the couple goes to the father's fields. On the way they carefully observe any signs which animals, birds, or nature, may give them. When they reach the fields, 
The boy shows his respect for his elders by cutting the grass along the borders with his head axe. This service also counteracts any bad sign which they may have received that morning. He next takes a little of the soil on his axe, and both he and his bride taste of it, so that the ground will yield good harvests for them, and they will become rich. Nowadays the couple goes to the home, prepared by the groom and his parents, as soon as it is ready. But the tales indicate that in former times they lived for a time with the boy's parents. They are accompanied by the groom's mother, and go very early in the morning, as they are then less apt to receive bad signs from the birds. The girl carries her sleeping mat and two pillows, but before she has deposited these in her new dwelling, she seats herself on the bamboo floor with her legs stretched out in front. It then becomes necessary for the groom to present her with a string of agate beads equal in length to the combined width of the bamboo slats which she covers, before she can eat of her husband's rice. He must give her a string of beads, or she will become ill, she may not open his granary until a like present has been given, or the resident spirit will make her blind, neither may she take food from the pots or water from the jars, until other beads have been presented to her. If the girl comes from another village, It is customary to make a payment to her parents for each stream crossed on the journey to the new home, another is demanded before she goes up the house ladder, and still others when she enters the house, and her belongings are brought in. A common occurrence in Bolaska and the San Juan district is for the parents of the girl to spread rows of baskets, Chinese plates or jars on the floor and to offer them to the groom, before he can accept them. He must make a return gift of money, beads, and the like for each one. It is explained by the elders that, when the young people see all the gifts spread out on the floor, they will appreciate the expense involved, and will be less likely to separate. If at any time the relatives of the girl have reason to doubt the husband's affection, they go to his home, and hold a gathering known as Nogkakalonan. They place a pig, a jar, and a number of baskets on the floor, and the husband is obliged to exchange money and other gifts for them. If he desires to convince the people of his continued love, after the pig has been served as food, the old men deliberate, and should they decide that the relatives have erred, they assess the whole cost of the gathering to the plaintiffs, and return the gifts. If the charge is sustained, the relatives recover the price of the pig, and retain the articles received in exchange for the baskets and dishes. Divorce is not uncommon, and is effected by a counsel similar to that just described. An attempt to reconcile the couple is made, but if that fails, the old men decide who is at fault, and assess the expenses of the gathering to that one. If blame attaches to the husband, he must complete any part of the marriage price still due, but if the woman is guilty, her parents and relatives must return the gifts distributed at the time of the engagement. The chief causes for divorce are cruelty or laziness on the part of the man, or unfaithfulness of the woman. Small children are generally left with the mother, but when they are old enough to decide, they may choose between their parents. However, the father must aid in the support of his offspring, and they share in his property when he dies. Either party to a divorce may remarry at any time. The Tengen recognize only one wife, but a man may have as many concubines potent as he can secure. The pota lives in a house of her own, but she is held somewhat in contempt by the other woman and is seldom seen in the social gatherings or in other homes. Her children belong to the father, and she has no right of appeal to the old men, except in cases of cruelty. Men with concubines do not suffer in the estimation of their fellows, but are considered clever to have one two or three women, 
The Pope is generally faithful to one man, and prostitution is almost unknown, and faithfulness on the part of a betrothed girl, or wife, or even a Pope is almost certain to cause serious trouble, and is likely to end in a murder. The early pledging and marriage of the children has reduced illicit sexual intercourse to a minimum, nevertheless. It sometimes happens that an betrothed girl, not a potent, is found to be pregnant. In such a case the man is expected to make a gift of about 100 pesos to the girl's people, and he must support the child when finally it comes into his keeping. Neither party to such an occurrence loses standing in the community unless the father should fail to redeem the child. Should this happen, he would be a subject of ridicule in the community, and a fine might also result. The usual outcome of such an illicit union is that the girl becomes the pote of her child's father. Death and burial. Sickness and death are usually caused by unfriendly spirits. Sometimes Kadoklan himself thus punishes those who refuse to obey the customs. Sometimes they are brought about by mortals who practice magic. Or by individuals themselves as punishment for violated taboos. And finally violent death is recognized as coming from human agency. The methods of cajoling the spirits. Of overcoming magic and thwarting evil designs are discussed in another chapter cf. pages 295 etc. If all these fail, and the patient dies, the family and relatives at once don old garments, and enter on a period of mourning, while friends and relatives assist in the disposal of the corpse. A funeral is a great event in a Tengian village. The dead is bathed, so that his spirit may be clean, and is placed in a bamboo seat at the end of the house. This seat, which is known as Samgadal, is constructed by placing three long bamboo poles against the wall and resting a frame of bamboo slats on them, to a height of about three feet. A mat is attached to the top, and is stretched onto the floor in front. The corpse is dressed in its best garments. Beads and silver wire surround its neck, while above and about it are many valuable blankets, belts, clouds, woven skirts, and the like, which the spirit is to take with him to the ancestors in Nagawa, his future home. A live chicken is placed behind the chair as an offering, but following the funeral it becomes the property of the friend, who removes the poles from the house. The flesh of a small pig is also offered to the spirits, while the intestines are hung just outside the door, until the body is buried. In the yard at the northeast corner of the house stands an inverted rice mortar on which is a dish of basi, an offering to the spirit Almlot, who in return prevents the people from becoming angry. The needs of the spirit of the deceased are looked after by the members of the family. It is their duty to place two small jars of liquor near to the corpse and to bring food to it. When the others are eating, up to this point only those spirits who attend the ceremony with friendly intent have been provided for. But the Tingian realize that there are others who must be kept at a distance or at least be compelled to leave the body unharmed. The first of these evil beings to be guarded against is Kadong the Yan who in former times used to attend each funeral and amuse himself by slitting the mouth of the corpse, so that it extended from ear to ear. Through the friendly instruction of Cabonian it was learned that, if a live chicken, with its mouth split down to its throat, were to fasten to the door of the house, its suffering would be noticed by the evil spirit, who, fearing similar treatment, would not attempt to enter the dwelling. The spirit hideway is also much feared. Long ago he used to mingle with the people in human form, without harming them. But the thoughtless act of a mourner started him on the evil course he has since pursued. In those times, it is said, the corpse was kept in the dwelling seven days, and, as the body decomposed, the liquid which came from it was caught in dishes, 
and was placed in the grave. On the occasion referred to, he was handed a cup of the lard to drink. He immediately acquired a great liking for this disgusting dish, and frequently even devoured the body as well. Since he fears iron, it is possible to drive him away by using metal weapons. It is also necessary to guard the grave against him and the spirit Selgae, who demands blood or the corpse. A cop is another evil spirit, who has a head, long slimy arms and legs, but no body. He is always near the place of death, awaiting an opportunity to embrace the spouse of the deceased, and once let the living feel his cold embrace, death is sure to follow. So a barricade of pillows is erected at one corner of the room, and behind this the wife is compelled to remain during the three days the body is kept in the house, while throughout the night she sleeps under a fishnet, in the meshes of which the long fingers of the spirit are sure to become entangled. Meanwhile, two or three old women sit near the corpse fanning it and wailing continually, at the same time keeping close watch to prevent the spirits from approaching the body or the widow play XVI. From time to time the wife may creep over to the corpse, and wailing and caressing it beg the spirit not to depart. According to custom, she has already taken off her beads, has put on old garments and a bark headband, and has placed over her head a large white blanket, which she wears until after the burial. Likewise all the relatives don old garments, and are barred from all work. The immediate family is under still stricter rules. Corn is their only food, they may not touch anything bloody. Neither can they swing their arms as they walk. They are prohibited from mounting a horse, and under no circumstances are they allowed to leave the village or join in merrymaking. Failure to obey these rules is followed by swift punishment, generally meted out by the spirit of the dead, except for the wife. These restrictions are raised after the blood and oil ceremony described in a later paragraph, but the widow continues in mourning until the layog is celebrated. At the end of a year, According to many informants among the older men, it was formerly necessary, following the death of an adult, for the men to put on white headbands and go out on a headhunt, until their return it was impossible to hold the ceremony which released the relatives from the taboo, during the first two days that the body is in the house, the friends and relatives gather to do honor to the dead and to partake of the food and drink, which are always freely given at such a time, but there is neither music, singing, or dancing. On the morning of the third day, the male guests assemble in the yard, and after drinking basi they select one of their number and proceed to beat him across the wrist or thigh, with a light rod plate XVII. Two hundred blows are required, but since the stick is split at one end only, one hundred strokes are given. This whipping is not severe, but the repeated blows are sufficient to cause the flesh to swell. As soon as the first man is beaten, he takes the rod and then proceeds to apply 150 strokes to each man present, excepting only those whose wives are pregnant. Should one of the latter be punished, his wife would suffer a miscarriage. The avowed purpose of this whipping is to make all the people feel as sorry as the relatives of the dead man. Burial in most of the valley towns is beneath the house, as it is much easier to defend the body against evil spirits, and the grave is also protected against the rain. In Minabo and many mountain villages, However, burial is in the yard. It is customary to open a grave already occupied by several of the relatives of the deceased. Toward noon of the last day, some of the men begin clearing away the bamboo, which protects the old burial, and to remove the dirt. The grave is generally of one of the forms indicated in figure 3, and when a depth of about 3 feet has been reached, the workers encounter stone slabs which protect a lower chamber. 
When these are reached, the diggers make an opening and thrusting in burning pine sticks. They call to the dead within. You must light your pipes with these. As soon as the slabs are raised, the oldest female relative of the deceased goes into the grave, gathers up the bones of the last person interred, ties them into a bundle, and reburies them in one corner. There is at present no such type of burial chamber, as is described by Le Guyernier, nor is there a memory or tradition of such an arrangement, as his visit took place less than a century ago. It is unlikely that all trace of it would have been lost. The heavy rainfall in this district would make the construction and maintenance of such a chamber almost impossible, while the dread of leaving the corpses thus exposed to hostile spirits and the raids of enemies in search of heads would also argue against such a practice. His description of the mummifying or drying of the corpse by means of fires built around it is likewise denied by the old men of Minabo, who insist that they never had such a custom. It certainly does not exist today. In a culture, in which the influence of custom is as strong as it is here, it would seem that the care of the corpse, which is intimately related to the condition of the spirit in its final abode, would be one of the last things to change. While the proceedings following a death are today so uniform throughout the Tengian belt, that they argue for a considerable antiquity, when the grave is ready, the fact is announced in the dwelling, and is the signal for renewed lamentation. The wife and near relatives throw themselves on the corpse, caressing it and crying wildly. Whatever there may have been of duty or respect in the wailing of the first two days, this parting burst of sorrow is genuine. Tears stand in the eyes of many while others cease their wailing and S.O.B. convulsively. After a time an old woman brings in some old oat seeds, each strung on a thread, and fastens one on the wrist of each person, as a protection against the evil spirit a cop, who, having been defeated in his designs against the widow, may seek to vent his anger on others. When this has been done, a medium seats herself in front of the body, and, covering her face with her hands, begins to chant and wail bidding the spirit to enter her body. Suddenly she falls back in a faint, while suppressed excitement is manifested by all the onlookers. After a moment or two, fire and water are placed at her head and feet, in order to frighten the spirit away. And then the medium gives the last message of the dead man to his family. This island except for very rare exceptions, the only time that the spirits of the deceased communicate with mortals, and it island so far as the writer has been able to learn. The only occasion when the medium repeats messages given to her. At other times she is possessed by natural spirits, who then talk directly with mortals. As a last preparation for the grave, a small hole is burned in each garment worn by the dead person. For otherwise the spirit hideway will envy him his clothing and attempt to steal them. The corpse is then wrapped in a mat, and is carried from the house. The bearers go directly to the Galawa, and rest the body in it for a moment. Unless this is done, the spirit will be poor in its future life and unable to build Galawa. The body is deposited full length in the grave. The stone slabs are relayed, the chinks between them filled in with damp clay, and the grave is refilled. As the last turf is pushed in a small pig is killed, and its blood is sprinkled on the loose soil. Meanwhile Selda is besought to respect the grave and leave it untouched. The animal is cut up, and a small piece is given to each guest who will stop on the way to his home, and place the meat on the ground as an offering, meanwhile repeating a diam, should he fail to do this, sickness or death is certain to visit his home or village, as a further protection against evilly disposed spirits, especially eyed way, an iron plow point is placed over the grave, 
for most evil spirits fear iron, and during this night and the nine succeeding, a fire is kept burning at the grave and at the foot of the house ladder. That night the men spend about an hour in the house of mourning, singing Sang Sanjit, a song in which they praise the dead man, encourage the widow, and bespeak the welfare of the family. The wailers still remain in the dwelling to protect the widow, and a male relative is detailed to see that the fire at the foot of the ladder is kept burning brightly. Early the next morning, the widow, closely guarded by the wailers, goes to the river, throws her headband into the water, and then goes in herself. As she sinks in the water, an old man throws a bundle of burning rice straw on her. The water will wash away some of the sorrow, and the fire will make her thoughts clear. Upon her return to the village, the grave is enclosed with a bamboo fence, and above it is hung a shallow box-like frame, known as body, in which are placed the articles needed by the spirit. Within the house the mat and pillow of the dead are laid ready for use, and at mealtime food is placed beside it. The length of time that the mat is left spread out differs somewhat between towns and families. In some cases it is taken up at the end of the period of taboo, while in others it is not rolled up, nor are the windows of the house opened until after the celebration of the layog ceremony. A year later, the taboo is usually strictly observed through ten days, but should there be some urgent reason, such as planting or reaping, it may be raised somewhat earlier. It is concluded by the blood and oil ceremony. The lakhi the other old men of the settlement, and all the relatives, gather in the house of mourning, while the mediums prepare for the ceremony, they kill a small pig and collect its blood in a dish, in another receptacle they place oil, a brush has been made out of a variety of leaves, and this the medium dips into the blood and oil, then draws it over the wrists or ankles of each person present, meanwhile saying, let the Lulu Fiscus Howley Blanco leaves take the sickness and death to another town, let the Kawayan bamboo make them grow fast and be strong as it island and have many branches, let the Atilwag Brainia Acumanata well. Arg, turn the sickness to other towns. A little oil is rubbed on the head of each person present, and all, except the widow, are then freed from restrictions. She must still refrain from wearing her beads, ornaments, or good clothing, and she is barred from taking part in any merrymaking until after the layog ceremony. At the conclusion of the anointing, the old men discuss the disposal of the property and other matters of importance in connection with the death. The layog, several months after the burial generally after the lapse of a year, the friends and relatives are summoned in the layog, a ceremony held with the avowed intention to show respect for the dead and to cause the family to forget their sorrow. Friends come from near and far, and rice, pigs, cows or carabatas are prepared for food, while basi flows freely. It is said that the liquor served at this time is, like tears for the dead. A medium goes to the guardian stones of the village, and there offers rice mixed with blood. She oils the stones, places new yellow headbands on each one, and after dancing to Dick, returns to the gathering. Often she is accompanied by a number of men, who shout on their return trip, to frighten away evil spirits. Near the house a chair is made ready for the deceased, and in it are placed clothing and food. In the yard four crossed spears form the framework on which a shield rests plate XBII and on this are beads, food, and garments offerings for the spirits, while near the house ladder is the spirits table made of inverted rice mortars. The duration of this ceremony depends largely on the wealth of the family, for the relatives must furnish everything needed at this time. Games are played, and there is much drinking and singing, but before the members of the family may take part, they are dressed in good garments. 
and the blood and oil ceremony is repeated on them. At the conclusion of the dancing, they go into the house, roll up the mat used by the dead, open the doors and windows, and all are again free to do as they wish. Should they fail to roll up the mat at this time, it must remain until another layog is held, and during the interval all the former restrictions are in force. About twenty years ago, a great number of people in Padok died of cholera, and since then the people of that village have held a layog in their honor each November, to the expense of which all contribute, as this is just before the rice harvest, a time when all the people wear their best garments. It is customary for the old men to allow bereaved families to participate in this ceremony and then release them from mourning. Beliefs concerning the spirit of the dead. Direct questioning brings out some differences of opinion. In the various districts. Concerning the spirit of the dead. In Minago, a town influenced both by the Igru of the Upper River Valley and the Christianized Ilocano of San Jose. The spirit is said to go at once to the great spirit Kondoklan, and then to continue on to the town where it lives. It is like a person, but is so light that it can be carried along by the wind when it blows. The people of Bai, a mountain village partially made up of immigrants from the eastern side of the Cordillera Central, claim that the spirits of the dead go to a mountain called Sinjit, where they have a great town. Here, it is also stated, the good are rewarded with fine houses, while the bad have to be content with hevels. The general belief, however, is that the spirit Kaladin has a body like that of the living person, but is usually invisible. Although spirits have appeared, and have even sought to injure living beings, immediately following death, the spirit stays near to its old home, ready to take vengeance on any relative, who fails to show his body proper respect. After the blood and oil ceremony, he goes to his future home, Maglawa, carrying with him gifts for the ancestors, which the people have placed about his corpse. In Maglawahi finds conditions much the same as on earth, people are rich and poor, they need houses, they plant and reap, and they conduct ceremonies for the superior beings, just as they had done during their life on earth. Beyond this, the people do not pretend to be posted, for Kabonian did not tell, with the exception of the people of Ba'i and a few individuals influenced by Christianity, the Tin.